My guest today is the director at Art Galleries at Black Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Please welcome Lise Regbeer. Lise, how's it going? Doing well. How are you? Hey, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Good. Good. Thank, thank you for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Great. So let's jump right into this. What do you do? <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> Depends what time of the day it is. But for most of the hours of the day during the week, I run two art galleries that are a part of Black Studies at the University of Texas. Okay. And, and then we'll get into that. But you said most of the day. So at night, what do you do? <laughs> there. <laughs> By night, I write about the things that keep me up. So I write about immigration and race and art, parented for publications such as Time Magazine or The Guardian, USA Today, etc. But professionally, I'm the director of these two art spaces at UT. Okay, great. And uh, these two art galleries, can you talk a little bit about them? Sure. So the University of Texas is a predominantly white institution, but we do have an academic department set aside for the study and scholarship of Black studies. The department became a thing, I guess, in the 60s where a number of public institutions were developing institutions or ways to examine this growing field of Black studies. And initially it was something to sort of an initiative to draw Black faculty members to campuses across the country. But over the last 50 years, the notion of, of Black studies have changed. They've become more degree granting departments. And as scholars from within different fields contribute to the areas of Black studies, different initiatives are growing within. And I say all that to say that an art historian took leadership role within Black Studies, and it, her name is Dr. Cherie Smith. And through her vision, she was able to establish these two art spaces that are dedicated to Black creative expression from across the diaspora. It feels important to also share that the field of Black Studies and looking at the complexities or layers of Black Studies is a relatively new Field. As such, our galleries have been open less than five years, and we're still growing and evolving, which for me presents a lot of exciting opportunities. So I'm the first director, started the first shows, hired the first set of staff, and yeah, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. You know, people say, oh, there have been challenges, but the challenges have been really fun and exciting too. I don't think we've come up against any unwanted challenges even shutting the gallery doors during covid right right okay this is great i wish this was around when i was at school but <laughs> so how did you get involved in this you said it was five years ago you're the first director here how'd you how'd you get involved so i guess a little bit of history growing up i grew up in montreal canada and growing up you had those career aptitude tests or the list of things that you should be when you grew up and i always got things like florist i think once i got gardener garbage picker upper on the street it was always stuff that was outside and i i couldn't understand what put me into these things although i love outside <laughs> 
but art gallery director was never on the list. And it's a kind of a multiple year trajectory that got me to this point. I loved art. I loved painting. So in Montreal, you go to college before you go to university. So you, high school is up until 11th grade, and then you do two years of college, and then you do university. So after high school, I did a degree in business in college, and then I went on to do a degree in fine arts and art history and studio art. And I thought I wanted to be an artist and quickly learned there are people far more adept <laughs> that than me. So for graduate school, I sort of turned my attention to arts administration. And I originally thought I wanted to be an art conservator. I really love to use my hands, but art conservators can spend hours and hours cleaning things with Q-tips. And I didn't want to be stuck in the bottom of a museum cleaning stuff with nail polish remover and Q-tips. So I kind of looked up and entered this museum studies program, which really opened my eyes to a range of ways to get involved in the arts. And I initially, I thought I would work in nonprofit. Actually, here's a funny story. After grad school, I was doing an, a fellowship at the Smithsonian Institution. And I thought, what does it take to be a grant maker? I keep hearing about the Ford Foundation gives a million dollars to this museum and this person gives $10 million to that. I said, what, what do you need to do that? So while I was sitting at my desk at the Smithsonian, I called the Wallace Foundation. This is years ago now, before like email was a normal thing. So I cold called them and I said naively, <laughs> I'd like <laughs> to speak with someone who could tell me what it takes to be a grant maker. And I, it was a really patient person on the other side of the line and patched me through to a director. <laughs> <laughs> and I did kind of what you're doing now. <laughs> I asked a bunch of questions and I guess I said something right is I said, why don't you send us your resume? And I was hired to be a program associate at the Wallace Foundation, which is one of the largest arts funders in the country. In that first year, we gave $21 million away to nonprofits across the country. And that was really important because even though in grad school, I'd learned theoretically how arts organizations work, it was working at the Wallace Foundation out of grad school that I got to really see how you gauge fiscal health, how you gauge programmatic health within arts institutions. So I, working in New York on Park Avenue felt a little far removed from the organizations who were actually doing the work. Mm. So after four years in grant making, I moved back into the field is what they call it. And I started directing small community-based arts organizations in the Northeast before I met a guy who got a job in Austin, <laughs> we moved to Austin. All this to say, when we moved to Austin, I was using some of those skills, collections management, um, nonprofit management in a consulting capacity here mm -hmm. in Austin. When I met a collector who suggested, I was actually doing some work with a private collector here who said, you know what, I think you should meet the folks in Black Studies at UT your kind of visions and missions seem aligned. So when this opportunity presented itself at UT, I was already sort of moving in this sort of black art orbit in Austin, which let me just say is, is a, very, a very small group of people because it, it's Austin. Right. <laughs> 
So that's interesting. You you called up the Wallace Foundation to ask them about how to be a grant maker, end up getting a job there, and then using those experiences, like you said, in collection management, nonprofit management, what you learned in graduate school. And I believe you went to graduate school at Harvard, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And put it all together. And here you are now, the first director yeah. at the AGBS. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not something that I ever would have predicted. I, I think, yeah, I had to look up where Austin was on the map before I moved here. So to think that I'm so f- kind of firmly embedded within the Austin community and within Austin's a Black community and this art community is, again, it's not something that I ever could have predicted as a little kid growing up in this immigrant community in Montreal, for sure, mm. who loved art. I just wanted to paint in yeah. my parents' basement, you know, and here I am. So let's talk about that first show that you had. You talk about that experience and just how that all went down, how you felt when it was finally done and what it was. Sure, sure. So our first show was a solo show, the work of an artist named Eto Otatigbe. And Eto is a New York-based artist, an engineer and artist who sort of would spend half of the year working in these big, complicated, international, mechanical engineering plants overseas as a contractor and then spend the next half of the year building art. So it really took an effort to get his calendar to align with the opening of the gallery. Of course, as construction projects go, we were up to the 11th hour or the 9th hour. I don't know what the idiom is exactly, but (laughs) we were like, we were late. And there was a a bit of a scramble at the end, but it did work out. Eto's work very specifically looks at notions of monuments. And at the time, UT was grappling with its own sense of how it would manage racist monuments on its campus, Confederate monuments on its campus. And Eto's work really reimagines the ways in which we consider who we remember and why we remember them and how we memorialize them. So to be able to recreate this idea of monuments within a gallery space had some challenges. It was actually a fun kind of set of conditions to work through. But one funny thing is the architects were really most proud of the gallery's lighting system, which is there are these bays on the ceiling that sort of trick your eye into thinking that you're looking into a skylight. Mm. And that creates this infinite space. And Eto came in and wanted to paint all of the walls black and turn off all of the lights. <laughs> so as the Architects were excited to unveil this architectural wonder, this brand new project that they'd been working on for years. The artist came in and said, let's turn off all the lights, including the pièce de résistance light, and let's paint all the walls black, and we're going to make monuments instead of mostly hanging things on walls. And luckily, as a group of creatives, the the architects, to understand, and saw Eto's vision and were accommodating. The next show, they were able to show off their lighting features. (laughs) But yeah, that's how that first show played out. And I had been working with Eto and discussing the show even before I was hired as the gallery director. So some of the pieces were already in place beforehand. Okay, that's great. That's awesome. Now, 
Now, you being a director, I'm, I'm guessing you're managing the day-to-day operations of the gallery. You're dealing with policies on the exhibitions and interacting with the public, things of that nature. Were there any surprises for you when you got in there? I think for me, managing within an academic institution can be, especially an institution the size of UT, can be a little tricky. Mm. Things weren't as nimble as they have been working with smaller institutions. So hiring processes can take a little longer. Buying things as simple as right now we're looking to buy masks and Purell and PPE during the COVID crisis. So it's not as simple is using the company card and going to buy masks. Red tape can sometimes change the timeline of a process, but you have to think of these things creatively. And even though the timeline when I first started wasn't something I was used to, there's a benefit to slowing down a little bit and a benefit to kind of stretching out the trajectory. I think this is the second time I've used the word, but there's a benefit to looking at the steps involved in something to realize what's necessary, what isn't necessary. You kind of have a new space. It was frustrating at first, but the red tape can sometimes offer a space to think of creative solutions. Also nice is being able to work with students. Mm. So being able to provide jobs that are enable a degree of professional development, which feels really exciting. It's exciting and it's a nice thing to be able to do, especially when as a student at that age, I didn't have the opportunities to learn real life experiences, especially in, in galleries and in art. So they know that gallery jobs include everything from like sweeping to planning exhibition calendars, to ever-evolving budgets, to learning how to politely tell people to not touch the art, (laughs) you know, they're getting some good hands-on experience. And it's great for us too, because we get this nice student energy and the curiosity that can help inform the ways that we want to do our business also. Right. That's great. That's great. And now part of your job is part of it also raising funds? It is. Again, at UT, there's a big machine in place to help move that effort forward. I work with a colleague, Shalia Fox, who is our development director. And we also have a Black Studies Advisory Board who help kind of identify supporters and and our leadership, the Black Studies leadership. Sheree Smith, who's the chair of the department, each of the units, leaders kind of contribute to how we, again, identify supporters and and leverage, quote unquote, our products. Mm. Yeah, we get to meet some really great, cool people, see some nice collections, and as we develop our pool of supporters, for sure. That's great. So it seems like you're getting to talk to a variety of people about your passion and about the gallery. So you're talking to people, whether you're trying to raise funds. And you're also trying to talk to people to increase interest in the gallery as well. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's broad. I used to travel before COVID-19 restrictions to the Caribbean, to Europe. So what's happening in our spaces in Austin really presents an opportunity to see the world and have global conversations as we consider the layers of complexity that exist within the Black diaspora. That's good. That's awesome. All right. And now, do you have a favorite piece in the gallery? Or favorite uh, piece? 
Oh, I don't know. No, I can't answer. I don't think I can answer that. I have lots of favorite pieces. We've got yeah. <laughs> a favorite show that we've had. That's hard to say too. Dawood Bay comes to mind. A, a student actually curated that show. Dawood Bay is a MacArthur genius fellow whose work looks, is, he's a photographer and he started off as a street photographer in, in Harlem. And he worked with a UT student years ago. So we were able to combine a student opportunity with the chance to bring this world-renowned artist to UT. Mm. And Daoud's work is, it's beautiful. I mean, mostly black and white, but it's these beautiful depictions of people who have often are kept out of the spotlight. And if you meet Daoud, he's an, an interviewer. So he's able to sort of draw people in and make people comfortable enough to get close enough with a camera so that you really have these beautiful, intimate portraits of people who you might never meet, but you feel like you know them. So that's one show that comes to mind because of the fame of Dawood mixed with the studentness of Julia Detchen, who is the curator. This is a great show. Nice. All right. And you mentioned a curator. Do you two work hand in hand? Yeah, so I prefer to work with a guest curator. Mm. I think a guest curator can always bring new life to the space and engage with the artist in new ways. I have curated shows in the gallery, as has Sharice, who founded the galleries. But I really think it's important to have a guest curator so that we can have conversations around the artwork. If I'm just doing it alone, it becomes sort of an insular or an isolated consideration. But when you have somebody else to work with and you're bouncing ideas around, you get a more expansive show. You get a show that is more opened up to entry points to multiple conversations, definitely. Yeah, that makes sense, yep. All right, now, can you talk about what a typical day of yours looks like, if there is a (laughs) typical day? (laughs) Um, Let's see, maybe today I can think about what today might look like. <laughs> there was an email exchanged back and forth with an artist about costs for an upcoming show as we think about what we might frame or what we might build in-house. I'm also curating a show in January. So what I do have to do today is we have a model of the galleries and we have something that are, they're called chips, which are scaled images that I can move around the gallery this model of the gallery to see where things might go so I have to lay out a show this afternoon I had a conversation with artists about framing and budget costs I've also spent some time on our Instagram as we are trying to bolster our social media presence and I'm of an age where that is not entirely natural to me (laughs) so we have a student who's helping us there was some back and forth this morning as we posted Instagram stuff. Um, And we also have a website called The Narrative. So in addition to the galleries, when the pandemic restrictions closed the doors, AGBS, our galleries at Black Studies started a new web platform called The Narrative. And The Narrative really seeks to further the conversations or create an opportunity to trigger the conversations that we would have had in the gallery. So the gallery doors were closed. We weren't able to stand in front of art and consider what this work might be telling us. So we thought, well, why don't we still 
provide prompts to those conversations with this website called The Narrative. So I spend a lot of time on The Narrative. I probably spend half my time in a week on The Narrative right now, editing content, we have a team of three who mine content, working with contributors to edit their essays, to invite contributors to speak about works of art or art collections. But right now, the narrative does take up a lot of time. So I posted three new entries this morning on the narrative. So that's also happened. So that's, that's a lot. Lay out a yeah. show. <laughs> art informing, artist, budget, narrative, social media. And then I have a kid downstairs. So there's a homeschooling component <laughs> to my days as well. That is a lot. <laughs> and I, I feel that. But so, yeah, it definitely is a lot. And you know, with that, and with some of the things you said, it seems like leadership skills, communication skills, negotiation skills, marketing skills, or some skills that you need with the several hats that you wear and what you do. So what skill sets and characteristics would you say are most important to be successful in what you do? I think the top one, without a doubt, would be relationship building. Mm -hmm. So, and within that, the layers within that are breeding trust, being a, a solid communicator, and especially while everyone's sort of treated to their spaces, communication really does become key as you're trusting a little Zoom square or text messages or emails to convey really important information to keep things going. Right. You couldn't do any of this in isolation and you really have to have a team and a network that is really all working in sync. And I think that happens by trusting the people that you're working with knowing that everyone can handle different pieces because we all hold different skills. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. When we come together, it all works, but we need to trust that we're all doing our bits uh, yep. and trust in our abilities for each of us to do our, our bits. All right. Makes sense. Yeah. And now can you talk about what you love about what you do? I love being able to create a platform for what has traditionally or historically been unheard or unseen. Mm. Um, and I mean that not just in like a, a, a sense of, of race or identity, but just art. I love to think that art can be a jump off for conversations about science or politics or religion or race, gender, sexuality, whatever it is. I think that we've often considered art as art is over here and then everything else. But for me, I love to be able to think about providing opportunities or access points for art to kind of become part of a larger conversation. Mm. Always. Mm. And I love art. I love looking at it. I love looking at it. I love talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely can tell that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, this is great. I would say it's rare for people to find a career path or jobs that in something that they're passionate about. And you can definitely tell that you have found that. And so that's, that's great. <laughs> I yeah, if, if I, yeah, I have. It took from like being a little kid playing with watercolors 
at seven years old to that trust, mm-hmm. that just trusting that there was something fulfilling in that little intimate exercise or practice could, could grow into this, you know, mm. I would have never imagined it, but I'm, I'm glad that also that my parents didn't try and get me to do something else. Actually Sorry. they did. They tried many times, but I think everyone's parents does. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to be an artist. Right. Who, what parent wants to hear that? I mean, my daughter says that. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. And then she says, I want to be a gallery director. And I said, well, why do you want to be a gallery director? And she said, because you get nice food at the gallery openings. <laughs> well, she's right. <laughs> she's right. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. Now, you mentioned far as challenges you mentioned red tape that there could be red tape with some of the things that you need to do and you also mentioned team working and having to be in sync so i'm guessing with the pandemic going on that could kind of throw a monkey wrench in some of that but can you talk about any challenges or obstacles that are out there for you right now one of the challenges is having limited access to the galleries for us as staff and also for guests the galleries are a public space. It's sort of built to convene people, convene people and ideas. So now that access to the space looks different, it's definitely been challenging as we try to figure out how do we continue to have these meaningful conversations. And while we can trigger them with the website, the narrative, we're not convening people in the same way. Mm -hmm. And people are zoomed out it's tiring. We're on Zoom calls all day. So how do you engage people in a meaningful way beyond a screen? What we're seeing more and more now too, especially with students, is people don't, aren't turning their cameras on. Um, so it, that's in the, that's, makes it even harder to know how engaged people are. And we don't want people necessarily to turn their cameras on if they're not feeling comfortable because we don't know what's happening at home, especially with the students, but it's hard to gauge that sense of engagement. We're also poised to consider ways in which we might integrate or collaborate with K through 12 learning populations. So working closely with the Austin Independent School District and other schools in the city. But again, when the doors close, the ways in which we can actively kind of get students to participate, it presents a new challenge. So we hosted a community roundtable via Zoom a couple of weeks ago, and there were ideas like an art mobile. So we would carry art to schools or hand out art activities at, you know, school events or, or food pantries sometimes because there are people who are food insecurity is, is real. So how might we provide access to art in other ways now that coming to the galleries isn't feasible for a lot of people? Even if the gallery itself is safe, I don't think that I would encourage anybody to get on a bus right now to come to the galleries. So how do we engage in in a meaningful way, especially with with younger visitors? That feels very important. Yeah, I agree. Trying to get them exposure and access to the arts and just having to try and figure out how to think outside of the box and how we can do it in this time. It's, it's kind of tough. 
Yeah. You might see an art mobile driving down your street. <laughs> hey, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so can you talk about any memorable moment that you've had or moments that you've had in your career? Um, there's so many. I, I don't know. I, I guess picking up the phone and calling the Wallace Foundation mm-hmm. was pretty pivotal. I think the formal opening of the art galleries and naming the Christian Green Gallery when the president of UT gave remarks and Sharif, we were all there to give remarks and honor the Rudy Green and Joyce Christian made a donation to UT, to Black Studies specifically, which earned them naming rights. So our larger gallery is called the Christian Green Gallery in their name. Mm. And... Rudy Green and Joyce Christian are dear friends of mine, personal friends, a relationship that grew out of this connection to UT. But standing there to cut a ribbon and pull the drape off of the, at the sign that bore their names was really, really moving. And my father was there too, actually. Mm visiting from Montreal. So it felt like this really beautiful culmination of my professional life and my personal life coming together. And when you spoke before about, you can tell when someone is passionate, when they're passionate about what they do. I think that part of that passion stems from the intersection of the personal and the professional coming together. Mm. And I never thought that that would happen. Working in on Park Avenue in New York at the Wallace Foundation, I didn't have those kinds of relationships. It was meaningful to be able to give millions of dollars away to SF MoMA or San Francisco Symphony or whatever it was. But to be able here in Austin to, to honor your personal friends as, as the director of a gallery that bears their name is pretty special. That is. Oh, yeah, that's a good moment. It was a good moment. Yeah, it was a good moment. Well, Lise, we're at the end of this interview. I'm going to head to this quick hitter session where I ask you just questions for fun, for people to get to know you a little bit better. But before I do that, though, I just want to see if there's anything additional that you would like to talk about or anything you feel like I might have left off asking you. No, this was great. Um, I really appreciate the thoughtful questions and the opportunity to, like, think back on this weird path that got me to this point and I appreciate your patience too I kind of went on thinking about how I got here so this is fun thank you great great good all right let's do these quick hitter questions so first one what's your favorite sports team I don't know anything about sports (laughs) no problem yeah Uh, Longhorns Longhorns. (laughs) hey that that's a great answer Hook them. <laughs> Favorite movie or show? Uh, I love Watchmen. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. I wish they had a season two. Yeah. Favorite musical artist or group? The first thing that pops to my head is Bob Marley, which mm. I know feels like wasted answer only because of course it's Bob Marley (laughs) but uh, nothing else kind of 
comes close, I think, in terms of like consistency from the time I was like born until now. So Yeah, one of my favorites too, if not favorite. Favorite vacation spot? Probably Barbados mm. or or Paris. Not like I do that often though. I feel very <laughs> like right now my favorite vacation spot is my backyard. So. Right. <laughs> I think everyone's right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> and favorite food or drink? Um favorite food I would have to say is roti, which is this Trinidadian, like a burrito, but way better. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, favorite drink, probably tea or wine. Honestly, it's wine. My favorite drink is wine. Red or white? Probably red. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, hey, Lise, this has been great. Like I said, that passion kind of oozes out of you. I love seeing your your passion uh, in what you do. I wish this was around. These, These galleries were around when I was there. But I love that it's there now. Love what you all are doing. Love what you're doing. And I just congrats on all your accomplishments and all that you're doing. And thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank you. I, I have a question. Yeah. Has anyone ever interviewed you for your podcast? You know, so um, I didn't want to say this, but on the 100th episode, I'm ah. going to be interviewed for the podcast yeah oh good okay I was gonna say someone has to put you in the hot seat yeah yeah talk about your favorite sports (laughs) teams and everything (laughs) that's good that's good I'm glad I look forward to that episode all right um, again this was a lot of fun yeah and so you mentioned the Instagram sites and the website so how do they find out more about the gallery and is there any way that they can reach out to you if they have any questions yeah, you can reach out to me via my UT email address, which is my first name, last name at austin.utexas.edu. Also, you can learn more about the galleries at galleries at UT is our URL, www.galleriesatut.org. Our Instagram is galleries at UT. That's our handle. And the narrative is um the dash narrative.org all right great thanks a lot thank you this is fun oh great i'm glad best part of my day (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad to hear that (laughs) all right have a good one thank you everyone if you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast please reach out to me on instagram at rodolfo cooper Thank you. Bye.